of course, the parable of the prodigal son. It is, um, if you were going to do like greatest hit list of Jesus's parables, the prodigal probably might be one or two or tied for number one. Probably the good Samaritan ranks pretty high for folks as well. But the prodigal son is sort of like a go-to favorite. And um, throughout history, it's been a, a parable that has spoken particularly to artists. And in the you know, medieval period and into sort of the, the Renaissance beyond, the, the prodigal son um, was the subject of many paintings, almost to the exclusion of a lot of, of other of Jesus's parables. Um, people love to paint the prodigal son. And a artist named Rembrandt um, was particularly interested in the parable of the prodigal son um, to the point where in his youth, when he was enjoying being a salty artist, living high, a high life, having lots of fun, he focused on the image of the younger son in the brothel and painted himself as the younger son as a self-portrait and his wife as a buxom brothel lass in the background. And throughout his life, he would sketch and draw and do etchings around the prodigal son, this parable, including a scene of the, the younger son feeding the pigs. And then he kind of shifted his focus and began sketching um, these images of the return of the prodigal son. And within a couple of years before he would die, Rembrandt would paint the return of the prodigal son. Um, that painting is now um, in Russia at the Hermitage, and it's like six feet by eight feet. It's a huge canvas. That's huge by my standards, um, you know. So the figures there could be nearly life-size. I don't know if you know much about Rembrandt, but he's known for the way that he uses light and shadow in his paintings. And this painting that he did of the return of the prodigal son near the end of his life is considered kind of one of his best. And if you look at this large canvas, the first thing that you see, what is bathed in the most beautiful painted light, is the younger son dressed in rags, a shoe has come off, knelt down in front of his father, who is um, clearly aged, maybe he can't see as well, his eyes just don't, you know, kind of have that cast over look, and he is embracing his younger son. It's clearly the, the focus of this painting. And in the background, in these deep, deep shadows, we see people, we don't know quite who they are. And then to the right of the father, in shadow, but just sort of peeking out, is a very sort of stern-looking man. Um, and then there's another man that we don't know who he is. And the stern-looking man, we believe, is the older brother, because he's dressed similarly to the father in this red cloak, which ties the three together. It's a striking painting. It's one of those, like when you see a painting of one of the masters and you just go, ah, look at that. And that was Rembrandt's 
view of the return of the prodigal son. And this painting has had an effect on people through the years um, and had a very strong effect on a priest named Henry Nowen, who first sees it as a poster in somebody's office. And what he sees is like a cropped version of it where it's just the father and the son. And it's at a time when Nowen was basically trying to figure out what he was going to do with his life. Was he going to keep teaching? Or was he going to go live in this community um, with adults of varying mental and physical abilities? Is that where God was calling him? And Nowen ends up in Russia and ends up knowing the right sort of folks that make arrangements to where he, you know, outside of all the tourists and everything, gets to sit in front of this painting that had sort of haunted him for all this time. And he spends hours in front of it, looking at the different figures, trying to make out what's in the shadows. He tells a hilarious, to me, hilarious story about his interaction with the Russian guard. Um, he tried to move the chair so he could get the glare off the painting, and the Russian guard was like, no, 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 you can't move this chair. And, they have to go bring in a nearly identical chair from someplace else in the museum that he can then move that chair, but not these two. Um, and Alan spends, I don't know, eight or ten hours staring at this painting. And he writes a book about it. And Alan, in one sense, interprets this parable the way that we all probably first want to interpret the parable, right? We all, you know, the younger son goes off, loose living, poor choices, sin, sin, sin and decides to come home and ask to be forgiven. And, and dad, even before he can really get all of his big speech prepared, says, not only do I forgive you, but I'm giving you all your stuff back, right? Get a cloak. We're going to put a ring on your finger. We're going to have this great party. And then you have the older brother who just is very disapproving of all of this. And we have a tendency to want to read this parable as, you know, the younger repentant son is, are those sinners that Jesus was eating with, these people that were willing to accept this new grace and forgiveness being offered. And, of course, God is the Father there to forgive us. And then those mean old Pharisees are the older brother that just doesn't find this scene to be altogether right. And that is certainly one way you can read it. Now, Nowen does, after staring at this painting for so long and learning a bit about Rembrandt, begins to move around in the scene, and he points out that Rembrandt made a major change to the parable. Because, see, the parable tells us that dad runs out to the younger son, and the older brother is nowhere to be seen when this reconciliation, this reunification happens. He's off in the field working. But Rembrandt puts the older brother right there close in the action to where you have this sort of triangle between the three of the brother looking down at the younger brother who is looking up or kind of have his head you know, in the, in the chest of the father who is sort of looking up um, back out through the painting. And I think when we move the older brother into the scene, we begin to get more uncomfortable with what's happening in the parable, and it makes a little less sense for us to assign the usual roles of, you know, new upcoming Christians are the ones ready to accept forgiveness, and the father is God, and the older brother are those mean old Pharisees that just want everybody to follow the rules. Because I don't think that's what the parable wants us to do. 
and a favorite scholar around here, Amy Jill Levine, would say that that's absolutely not what the parable is supposed to do. But at the end of the day, if that's the way we read the parable, we're all comfortable and happy, and that's not what parables are supposed to be about. They're supposed to make us uncomfortable and think. I think this parable asks us to do exactly what Rembrandt did with it, which he, through his paintings and his drawings, wrestled with this parable for his whole life. And he saw himself as the younger son, living fast and loose, that needed forgiveness. He saw himself as the younger son who had hit rock bottom and was feeding the pigs. He saw himself at some point as the younger son come home to find unbelievable forgiveness, but he also saw himself as the older brother standing there going, this doesn't make any sense at all. I've been here the whole time. I think this parable asks us to do what Nowen did, which is to sit for hours and just study it and to see who are the people and what is going on, to see the different characters. Because I don't think God is the Father, um, though that is certainly a remarkable example of forgiveness, but I think the parable challenges us to take the time and effort to actually see the people that are part of the story. Because at the end of the day, that beautiful painting and this beautiful parable that's followed us no one is really completely reconciled in the whole thing. The son has come home in tatters, and, and the father throws him a party, but he's still the son that has had this loose living that now the brother is alienated from, who now is alienated from the father, and the father doesn't understand why the brother isn't happy that the younger son has come home. Everybody is still three people moving maybe parallel to each other, but nobody is stopping to see each other and what's going on. Even in Rembrandt's painting, nobody is looking directly at the other person, the main actors. And I think God wants us to be in the position of Rembrandt, who observes and studies the parable for his whole life to figure out what the relationships are and where the brokenness is. Nowen, who sits and studies a painting for hours, trying to talk to a Russian guard to explain why he's got to move a chair so he can get the glare off the painting, but not being completely understood, and they bring him another chair that he can move. It's about challenging us to take the time to really see each other and to see the relationships that are in here and where they run together and where they run apart and know that it's God that ultimately sees all of us completely and fully and that can bring us back together to where we're no longer just these two-dimensional characters on a page or in a painting missing each other, but to give us the opportunity to where we can actually find ourselves and each other in God together. Amen.